0: Thank you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Ryell. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. church happy sunday it is starting to really heat up out there you can feel it got the summer threads going on it's getting a little warmer in here but um, we're continuing in our series through the book of james and uh, we got a couple sermons left and then we'll have made it through the entire book so if you've been with us for the series thank you so much Um, let's go ahead and uh, and start with the text James 5, 7 through 12, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now, I want you to think about a time recently where you've had to wait. Now, what I do not mean is when you had to wait for your Netflix to buffer what I do not mean is when you had to wait an extra four minutes at the drive-thru because they didn't have your food ready. I mean a genuine, legitimate time of waiting. It may be hard for you to have a moment like that come to mind because we are so accustomed to the efficiency of the modern age. There was something with that generations who grew up before the invention of smartphones and the expansion of Wi-Fi experienced. For those of you who do not know, it was called boredom. It was a time where there was nothing to do, right? Nowhere to go, nothing to be stimulated or entertained by, and you were bored, and you had to think of something to do. You had to get creative. And, and many generations don't know about this because there's constantly something to stimulate our minds or grab our attentions. Something we, we, we have to, um, something we have grown accustomed to. And so, recently, my wife and I have been teaching our son about the value of being bored. You know, he's always in the back of the car. How much longer till we get there, right? Can I play a game, please? Can I watch a movie? Can I do this? And we're like, nope. You're just going to sit in the back of the car like mom and I used to do. Play I Spy. Do those different kind of things, right? Get accustomed to being bored because it's valuable. Right now, when we are asked to wait... We don't really feel the weight of waiting because now on our phones we can stream movies, watch TV, scroll through social media, shop, pay bills, read a book, do all sorts of things from our pocket. Now not all of these things are bad, but we have increasingly become disconnected with the reality of waiting. Now when we think about waiting, we often think of the MVD, right, or the doctor's office. But there are often seasons of waiting in our lives. When we are waiting to meet the person we want to marry, waiting for a prodigal child to come back to faith, waiting for an illness to go away, waiting for heartbreak to heal, waiting for the pregnancy test to come back positive, waiting for the phone call that you've gotten the job. When we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, it becomes clear Nobody enjoys it. Nobody enjoys the process of waiting. We want it to stop sitting in the unknown and for it to end as quickly as possible. But brothers and sisters, what if waiting is not a torture to be endured, but a gift to be cherished? What if waiting was not an obstacle to your life, but a valuable season to be thankful for? What if waiting was not a detour, but rather a crucial part of the journey? What if, brothers and sisters, in the waiting, God was working? In our passage today, James is writing to brothers and sisters who find themselves in a season of waiting. You see, for them, it was not just waiting for trivial matters, but instead, it was waiting for God to meet them in their pain. This church in Jerusalem was poor and was being oppressed and was, was being pushed out by the Roman governments and, 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 and being persecuted against. And so James gives them a clear vision of how followers of Jesus in seasons of waiting, are to wait well. He tells them these six things. He says, "Be patient, be expectant, be steadfast, be slow to anger. Uh, slow to speak, rather, be anchored and be honest. Be patient, be expectant, be steadfast, be slow to speak, be anchored, and lastly, be honest. Let's look at the first thing he tells them, to be patient, starting in verse 7. He says, be patient then, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Now, patience, in the Greek is the word makrothumia. Macro meaning long and thymus meaning anger or passion. So literally translated, it's long anger. Now this does not mean you have the ability to stay angry for a really long time. It means it takes you a long time to get angry. Uh, The Hebrew word is actually translated long of nose. It means that it takes a long time for, for you to get angry because when you get angry, your face gets hot, your breath gets short. But the long of nose is this imagery of it takes a long time for the fuse to get really lit up. And so patience is this ability to remain externally and internally composed when faced with the difficult circumstances. Now, brothers and sisters... Who here lost their patience this week? I'm raising my hand because yes, right? Maybe for you it was driving in the car. And somebody is driving 35 in a 75, right? And so there you are, come on, right? Maybe for you it was with your child, right? All week long they're in the backseat, why? How come? Why? How come? Why? And you're just there, because it is the way it is, right? Maybe for you, it was a coworker who you've asked time and time and time again to do a task a certain way. And it seems that at this point, they're doing it in rebellion of you, right? And so you find yourself losing your patience. And maybe it's with a family member who you love dearly, but they know how to push your buttons, man. They play you like a fiddle, right? They know just the right thing, just the right way, just their tone, even, right? And for you, you found yourself quickly to lose your patience. It's quickly off with the cuff, quick response, yell, fight, say a sharp remark, be passive, aggressive, whatever it is, you find yourself living, being impatient. As we look at our lives, we see that impatience rears its ugly head into several places of our lives, right? Whether it be at the grocery store with long checkout lines or on our way to work. But it's not just strangers who suffer from at the hands of our impatience, but it's most often the people we love the most. Our loved ones suffer from our outburst of anger or frustration when we've become impatient, lashing out with our words or our actions. Now in every family, there's one of two people. There's one who's the punctual type, Right? They're up early. They like to be places on time, if not early. They're always, trying, all right, we got like 13 minutes to go here, to go there. Then there's others in the family who, for lack of a better way of saying it, see, like to enjoy their time, right? For them, being fashionably late is a standard, right? To all things, doctor's appointments, you know, dinner, dinners, whatever it is. And usually these people find each other and are going to events with each other. So you got the one who's at the door, how much longer, how much longer, how much longer, and the one, I'm ready when I'm ready, right? Or whatever it is. And and don't think it's just guys and girls. The roles have been reversed several times, right? And so the person who is punctual finds himself quickly losing patience. Quickly being, we're running out of time. And the other person has all the patience in the world, right? We get there when we get there. Now, if we were honest, and of the two, I am the more punctual type, and my wife enjoys taking her time, and so frankly, candidly with you guys, if I could be honest, the Lord is really dealing with me with my impatience, because I tend to be very impatient, and I ask a lot of unhelpful questions, like, how much longer is it going to take for you? Should I load the boys in the car? Whatever it is, and those are all my subtle cues saying, I'm getting impatient, let's go, instead of being patient with my bride, so please pray for me in that regard, but If we're honest, we would realize that our impatience is rooted in selfishness. It's because we want things to be happening according to my timeline, the way I would do it, the way I would like it. It has little to do with the moral justice of being on time and more to do than not going according to your schedule. And when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, we quickly run towards being impatient. Being impatient with God and with others. And so what does this fruit of impatience bring in our life? When we allow impatience to take over, it makes a mess of things. And there are three temptations I want to talk about today that we must resist in seasons of waiting. The first is the temptation to rush things. When we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we want to rush things. We want to get things to happen faster than the current rate that they are happening. And I think the clearest example of this is in the life of Abraham. You see, God promises Abraham that his descendants will be as many as the stars are in the sky. The only problem is that Abraham gets this promise when him and his wife are a little bit up there in age, past the years of childbearing. God gives this promise to Abraham when he is 75 years old. And so Abraham is waiting for the promise, and 11 years pass, and there's still no child. So at this point, he's 86 years old. And so Abraham and Sarah begin to grow impatient and decide, you know what? We're going to take manners into our own hands. And so they have a servant who works for them by the name of Hagar. And Sarah presents the plan to Abraham for him to sleep with her that way they could conceive a child. And that would be the way that God would fulfill his promise. However, God informs Abraham this was not what he had intended. He had intended to give him a child through Sarah. And so this brings all sorts of pain and hurt into Abraham's life. 14 years after that moment, Sarah gives birth to a son named Isaac, and at this time, Abraham is 100 years old. Imagine Abraham rolling up to Isaac's graduation, you know? No, is that your great-great-grandpa? No, that's my dad, right? But what takes, place, what takes place at that moment is so much turmoil and division because now Hagar um, and her son Ishmael are at odds with Sarah and Isaac and there's this battling and this waging going on and ultimately Abraham sends away Hagar and Ishmael to kind of fend for themselves and the division is brought between the family and Abraham is no longer there to be there for his son. Now, I mentioned the story to serve as a reminder That when we try to force or rush something that we are waiting to happen, it often ends up in more heartbreak and turmoil in the end. I know people who rushed into marriage because they were tired of feeling alone, and they ended up being married to a person in covenant with a person who didn't love Jesus or them well and causes deep strife and heartbreak. I know people who rushed into a different job just because it had more pay, ignoring the bad schedule, the demanding work, and the difficult work environment because they didn't want to wait for another opportunity to arise. I know people who rush into incredible debt because they didn't want to wait and save and store their money, so they bought with a credit card and and swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe. Until all they can afford is basically the interest payments on their debt. When we rush into things, when we, when we try to force things to happen faster, it often leads to more heartbreak and pain than the waiting itself. The next thing we run to in seasons that I want us to avoid the temptation of is the temptation to numb ourselves. When we are faced with the reality of waiting, waiting can be a painful season. So instead of dealing with the hard emotions of the pain of waiting, we decide we're going to numb ourselves instead. We medicate ourselves into disappointment and we run towards things that help us forget about waiting, right? Some of us, we binge watch television or movies just to forget about the pain of the season we're in. Some of us, we run to overeating or overindulging in certain things. Some of us run to that extra couple glasses of wine or an extra couple of beers. Whatever it is we run towards, we run towards these things to distract ourselves from the season that we are in. But brothers and sisters, when we do this, I see two things happening when we respond that way. First, we dig ourselves a deeper hole. Often decisions made in that season carry consequences far beyond the season of waiting, and they create further distance with God, community, and ultimately from our healing. Second is that we squander that season of life. That when we leave that season, we realize we wasted precious time that we will never get back, mindlessly going through life, not leaning into all that God had for us. And the last temptation is this temptation to strive now, striving is, is not giving effort or trying. We do this in every season. But striving is when we think it depends on us to get us out of the season that we are in. It is on me and me alone to dictate that. One of my favorite moments is when you're driving, classic New Mexico drivers, and there's somebody who's clearly in a hurry right? And they're driving erratic. They're flashing their lights behind you. They're going in and out of lanes. They're trying to pass people. They're cutting people off or whatever, right? And one of my favorite moments is when this person is doing that and getting all crazy and they pass you somehow and up ahead is a light and it turns red. And there you come strolling right next then right at speed limit, stopped, parked next to them and then, oh, hello there, right? And all of their striving and blinking and flashing and honking and turning. How far did they get? Same exact place. Had they gone the same exact pace, but there's some reason. And let's be more honest. We've probably all been that person one time or another. You're late for an appointment, late for something, and there you are. Why are people going so slow? Doesn't anyone know how to drive in this place, right? And then there you are, the person you just cut off. You're next to them at a light, and you're just don't look around, don't look around, don't look around, don't look around. You know in our impatience, our desire is to strive, is to feel like we have control, to take over things, and get us out of the season of waiting, and this is not what the Lord has for us, and all of this striving, and trying, and effort, and sweating, and, and thinking, and worrying, we realize that we are still in the same place. It didn't make the waiting go by any faster. Now, If the three temptations were to uh, not to to strive, not to be numb, and not to rush, then what is the answer? And I'd say the answer for us is to lean into abiding. The way that we become people who are marked by patience is people who lean into abiding. When people who are marked by patience, to become people who are marked by patience, we must devote ourselves to remaining with Jesus in a season of waiting. To remain with Jesus in a season of waiting. One of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Patience. According to Jesus, the only way that we bear fruit is by remaining in Him. Check out John 15. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. The imagery here is that Jesus is the vine, the source of power and life. And we are the branches that abide in the vine. And when we do so, we bear much fruit. So the only way we become people who walk in patience is to be people who remain in the source that is Jesus. And to abide is to practice the presence of God. Or in other language, a rule of life. Or more commonly, spiritual disciplines. And we will be having more conversations around these as we enter some various practice series throughout the year. Last year, we did a practice series on prayer and that aspect of things. So if you want to go on the website or through the podcast, you can listen to that whole sermon series there. Um, This year, we're going to be doing one on fasting and feasting. But we're going to be going through sporadically um, this rule of life or spiritual disciplines or practicing the presence of God abiding in Jesus. And so while we are in a season of waiting... We don't run towards rushing, we don't numb ourselves, we don't strive, but we lean into abiding, being with Jesus to experience the fullness for what he has for us in this season of waiting. The next thing James tells us is this, be expectant. He says this, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Oftentimes, and seasons, seasons of waiting, immediately proceed after seasons of sowing. When a farmer is sowing, right, they scatter seed as much, as much as they possibly can, planting as much as they can afford in hopes that what they have sown will become rooted and will become plants and then bear fruit and then they'll have a harvest from that. But there's this gap between when the seed goes into the ground and when you see something grow, And I believe this is a word that God has for someone today. Just because you can't see it growing doesn't mean mean it's not growing. Just because you can't see it growing doesn't mean it's not growing. It's working beneath the surface. Once a farmer has sowed those seeds, you know what he has to do? Wait. Just wait. Wait to see what took. Wait to see what didn't take. Wait to see how much he's going to have or how little he's going to have. Now, he has a responsibility to prepare the soil and a bunch of other agricultural things I don't know about, but I know he has some things to do, aerate the ground, irrigate, whatever. I don't know, a lot of things. But there comes a time where there's no more work to be done but just to wait. Wait to see what happens. And I feel like some of you are in this season now where you've sowed the seeds, where you've done the work, and now you're just waiting to see what will happen next. Maybe... For you, you're in a tough season of parenting. You're sowing, you sowed seeds into your kids. You're sowing seeds into your kids, and it's hard and it's challenging and requires a lot out of you. And you may not see the fruit immediately of what you sow, but you're sowing for the future. Maybe you have been faithful with your finances. While others are spending and incurring debt, you've been faithful to live below your means. And it feels like everybody's getting what they want and you are behind. But really, what you can't see is how living in debt will set, not living in debt now will set you free later. Maybe there is somebody you've been walking with through difficult seasons, the good and the bad days, and you feel discouraged because all this talk, all this care, all this love you pour out seems to go absolutely nowhere. Brothers and sisters, you are sowing seeds. You may not see the fruit of those seeds, but you're sowing them that will bear fruit later. Do not lose heart. Harvest is coming. Fruit is on the way. Keep sowing, keep faithful. You will see it soon. James tells the church here that uh, the farmer eagerly awaits the rain. There is also this great reality that there is there is a lot that isn't in the farmer's hand. Right, they plant the seed, they take care of the ground, but they cannot predict whether or not it rains. It either does or doesn't, and they have no influence on that reality. And so the farmer waits expectantly for rain. What does it mean to wait with expectancy? It means not just believing but anticipating rain to come. And so what does this mean to a follower of Jesus' life? You are always eagerly anticipating God to break through on something you are waiting for. Now I want to be clear. This does not mean he will show up like you want him to show up. But what it does mean is he will show up and you will wait eagerly for him. And I feel like this is also a word for somebody today. Brothers and sisters, rain is coming. Refreshment is coming. Strength is coming. Isaiah 40 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But check this out. But those who hope in the Lord, the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Faint. It's this beautiful imagery that because you're weary, because you're tired, because you've been working, because you've been sowing, guess what? God is not. He's the everlasting God. He's not up there like, "Who man, I need a vacation. They're asking too much of me. No, He is all-powerful, everlasting. He says, where young men grow weary and tired, right? Even the strongest Buffest, best looking, most handsome guy, they get tired, right? But the Lord does not. And you know what the Lord then says? That strength that I have, if you wait on me, if you hope in me, I will impart that strength unto you. And then you will never grow tired. You will run and not go weary. You will walk and not grow faint, right? He says, and it'll even be like you're flying. Mounting up on wings as an eagle. Now, this does not mean literally, so don't think the Lord's going to give you strength to run that marathon or to jump off the cliff and fly, right? But it does mean that he will give you strength in a season where you are weary. And so as the farmer eagerly awaits the rain, brothers and sisters, eagerly await the refreshing presence of the Lord who comes and strengthens your weary souls. You've been working. You've been sowing. You've been building something, and some of you come in tired. Brothers and sisters, rain is coming. Refreshment is coming. Lift your eyes in faith to the Lord and receive his gift of strength. The last thing I want to say is this, in this portion. He's not going to stop now. God has been faithful to bring you this far. He's not going to leave you now. He's not going to abandon you now. He's not going to stop you now. That's going to be one of the things that comes into your mind as a season of waiting. But he is not going to stop or quit on you now. The next thing James tells us is for us to be steadfast. Verse 8. You too, be patient and stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Now, there are a couple of things that happen to us when we're in a season of waiting. A couple of things that pull us away. And one of the first things is we get pulled by doubt. When we're in the midst of waiting, it seems that our emotions get ramped up even higher and they begin to pull us in all sorts of different directions. And one of these directions is getting pulled towards doubt. While we are waiting, it is easy for us to begin to think, man, maybe God isn't working. Maybe he's not hearing my prayers. Maybe he's not even there. But brothers and sisters, God's word for you today is remain steadfast. Remain immovable. The idea of being steadfast means no matter what comes your way, your feet will remain firmly planted. No matter what current comes to pull you away, you will not move. How you feel does not negate what is true. How you feel does not negate what is true. Here is what is true. God is real and he's moving and he's working and he loves you and he's doing something in you right now. Do not let doubt drag you away from abiding, remaining with him. Drag your doubts instead to God and watch him give you peace. One of the things that we've done in the church when people go through doubts is just like, don't talk about it. Like, don't bring them up. Don't even bring those things. And that is the worst thing you could do for doubt because then doubt then grows. The challenge for us in our church is when we have doubts, we take them to God. God, it feels like you're not here. It feels like all this isn't working. It feels like you're not showing up. It feels like I prayed for that and it didn't happen. So God, where are you? We take the posture of the psalmist who cry out to God and say, God, we're bringing it to you. This is your problem now, right? This is your thing now. We're believing you. We're calling unto you. We're trusting in you. The ball's in your court, Lord. What are you doing? How are you moving? And we watch in those moments, God gives us peace. God teaches us. He shows us that he's working, that he's doing things behind the scenes. The next current that pulls at us is this pull of disappointment. While we wait, it is easy for us to be pulled into disappointment, feeling like it's never going to happen. Proverbs 13:12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Brothers and sisters, do not let disappointment drag you away from abiding in him. Instead, bring your disappointments to him and watch him give you joy. Bring the things that hurt. Bring the things that pain. Bring the things that are weighing you down and bring them to his feet. Uh, Peter says, cast your cares upon him. For why? He cares for you. The things that are weighing you down, the things that are making you anxious, the things that you're disappointed about. God, I thought by this time in my life, I'd be here. I thought I'd have this. I thought I'd be moving in this direction. Bring those disappointments to God and watch God give you joy and gratitude in the season you're in. The next pull is the pull of despair. It can be easy for us while we're waiting on God to be pulled into this heart posture of despair. Things are never going to change. He's never going to show up. Maybe he's forgotten about me. Brothers and sisters, again, bring your despair to him and watch him give you hope. The word that James has for us here is this idea of stand firm. A word we need to be reminded of is the reality that God is not a genie for our wishes, but a father who takes care of his kids. He's not a genie to grant our wishes, but a father who takes care of his kids. And sometimes we are pulled away from him, because of, not because of something he's promised, but because of our own expectation. What we need right now in the church is a wave of grit is this ability to stand firm, to be immovable. This is one thing I think that older generations have learned well that younger generations really struggle with. Now for us younger folk who start thinking like, oh, that's not me or whatever, this is something I see pastorally all the time. That when things get hard, we want to quit. We want to tap out. It's just too hard because we live in a day and age of convenience. When a relationship gets too hard, we think, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, I'll just find somebody else on all the different social media apps, etc., cetera, et cetera. When a, when a job gets too hard, I'll just quit and move to a different one. When this gets too hard, I'll just move and do this. We have this tendency within us, younger generation, to not have grit, the ability, the staying power to plant our feet and stay somewhere. My number one young advice to men, and when it comes to dating relationships is this, plant your feet and love a woman. And the young guys get mad at me but dude I don't know is God calling her to me and all this worry I'm like does she love Jesus yes does she like you yes then wake up they don't come around often there's not a million of them out there plant your feet and love a woman but it's hard and she doesn't like this and I don't know she doesn't want to talk about Star Wars she's a woman she's not going to want to talk about Star Wars you plant your feet you love a woman but this is something that our, the younger people in our church need to hear. We need grit. We need perseverance. We need the ability to go against things that are hard and not give up right away. I get the phone calls all the time. I didn't get the job. Is God even real? Maybe the job just wasn't for you. Maybe he's being a good father and, and helping lead and guide your path. And it's not that, oh, the world is falling apart. It means there's another opportunity on the horizon. There's all sorts of different things, but brothers and sisters, we need this. We need grit, the ability to plant our feet and keep moving forward. Now, where do we get that strength to keep our feet planted? James says this in that passage. He says that because we're able to stand firm, because why? The Lord is coming near. Now, there is something that I believe that we've lost, and it's this sense of urgency. urgency. It's this sense of expectation for the return of Christ, right? There were the generations who preceded us who were kind of obsessed with it. And every single thing that happened in the world was, he's coming back right now, right? And it was like this over-obsession with it, right? And they would tell you, like, better watch what you do. You don't want to be doing that when Jesus comes back or whatever. You're like, I'm in the restroom. Leave me alone, right? Whatever it was, there was this over-obsession with it. But this next other generation has just swung the opposite way and it has been like well whenever he shows up like whatever. there needs to be this expectancy this eagerness in us for the king is going to come back he's going to return And what that means is that when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And everything wrong and evil and broken and and, and lost, he will redeem and make new and restore. And he will set all things right again. All the evil and affliction and hurt and pain and the world, God will make right and new. And as followers of Jesus, we should be eagerly expecting that. We should be waiting with anticipation. He's going to come again and make all things new. So when we're going through a season of waiting where it's painful and it's hard and it's difficult, we keep our feet firmly planted because we know even if this situation does not go my way, one day he will come and make all things new. That's why I can stand with my feet firmly planted. That's why I can be immovable. When we allow ourselves to remain focused on what we are waiting for, it is easy for us to become easily annoyed or frustrated. And this is what James says next. He says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, in our waiting, we must be slow to speak, as James has told us before. When we wait, it is easy for us to get frustrated and Bitter, because we're continually to focus on the thing that's not yet here. And how that manifests itself is grumbling towards others. You know the grumbling towards others. It's the... (laughs) under your breath, right, of all the things. A small and silly example is when you're hangry at a restaurant, right? You're sitting there, you're waiting for your food, and like they're preparing food from scratch. And there you are, it's been eight minutes, right? You're like already hangry. Then everything starts to annoy you. It's kind of hot in here, like this table is sticky, you know. All these things start to really like get onto your nerves. It's been 75 seconds, how come they haven't taken our drink order, right? All these things start to annoy you, right? Someone's trying to spark up conversation. Did you watch the game? No, I hate games, don't talk to me, right? And then after you've eaten, you're like lounging back and having a good time and let's get another or whatever it is, right? Because there was this waiting, this, this thing, but it caused a grumbling and bitter spirit to kind of rise up in you, and you were intolerable to the people you were eating with. And they were just like, dude, you need a Snickers, right? There's that whole commercial. And so what happens when we're in a season of waiting is it's easy for us to grumble and complain about everything in our life. When we're not getting something that we're waiting for, it's easy to start complaining about everything. Oh, my job, and all the kids, and all this, and all that. And there's this grumbling spirit in you. And you find that the, that the narrative going on in your mind is that of one of that's of a complaining spirit. Well, it must be nice to have a new car. It must be nice. And you're doing that all the way around. And you are just rotting your life of joy. You're robbing yourself of the peace that God wants to give you. You're robbing yourself of the gift of the season that you are in. Because you're allowing a grumbling spirit to come. And so I'd say, be slow to speak and think about your words carefully. Because oftentimes when we're hurting, we use our words to wound others. When we're hurting, we use our wounds to hurt, uh, we use our words to wound others. And so be slow to speak. When you know it's been a hard and difficult season, watch your tongue carefully. Because here's the reality. There'll be seeds that you sow that are bad seeds in a season of waiting if you allow a grumbling and complaining spirit to overtake you. As you're waiting on something and you grow, you grow an impatient and frustrated with your kids, you start sowing bad seeds into them. You're, you talk too much. You're bothering me. You sow those seeds. Even though you're hurt, you're building hurt in them and that'll reap fruit later in your life to your spouse, to your loved ones, to your friends who are trying to be there for you in this season, right? You're in a season of singleness, and you're saying, man, I, I, you know, you really, you're really waiting for the spouse. And your friend who's married comes to try to encourage you. And you're like, well, it must be nice to feel that way because you have some. You know, we're doing those kind of pushing away, grumbling and complaining spirit, not just receiving the gift that they're trying to impart onto you in encouragement or love. And when we allow this frustration and bitterness to set in, right, it results in friendly fire, us hurting the people around us. And so the charge is to remember that our words really matter. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says this, but I tell you, everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted or by your words, you will be condemned. Now, this does not mean you could talk yourself in or out of the kingdom of God, right? It means you can't talk yourself out of being saved or not being saved. But it does mean is that we will be held accountable for the words that we say. Even words that we deem are empty, or I was just in a bad mood, or I was just a little hangry. They really have an impact. As has been famously said, words create worlds, so what we say really matters, James goes on to say in verse 10, Brothers and sisters, as examples of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count them, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The yeah, big idea that I want James, I think James wanted us to take for us a bit, is being anchored. Being anchored in the story that we're walking in. We've had brothers and sisters in the faith who have paved the way for us on how it looks to persevere, to keep moving forward, even in seasons of waiting. He talks about prophets, and there's so many stories and examples we could go over, but the one he specifically talks about is Job. Now, it's not pronounced job. It's Job, right? Now, Job was a man who loved the Lord. He loved the Lord mightily. And we get this scene in Job where the enemy, the Satan, comes to rob him of everything. His family, his kids die. He he loses all of his wealth. He ends up getting boils all over his body, sickness, and all this stuff's happening. And if you read the book of Job, you see the whole thing's basically conversations with him and his friends. He's like, what's happening to my life? And they're all, I don't know, dude, you must have really made God mad, bro, you know, I don't know. And they're like, what did you do? Like, did you cheat somebody? Did you rob somebody? Like, you couldn't have done nothing, bro. You had to do something for this to happen. He's like, seriously, I've done nothing, and my life is falling apart. So the whole thing, it's like 60 chapters. It's like this big, long narrative of him going back and forth, back and forth, like, God, where are you? Like, why is this happening to me? And his friends are the whole time offering speculation. Well, remember in 2003, when they give us that extra box of fries in the Wendy's? Think this is good? Way to be. No, it's like, no, dude, it's not what all this is about, right? Our God is not a retributive God. He's not paying back uh, for, for things that we've done, but it's this beautiful example, but the whole time, Job remains faithful to God, even in the waiting, even in the frustration, even the hurt, and at the end of his life, God blesses him mightily. All the things that were taken are restored. Everything is made new and everything is multiplied. And not just here on the earthly side, but even in the kingdom, all things are made new for Job. And it's this reminder that when you wait on God, it's this reminder that He is faithful. I love what Hebrews 10 says. It says this So do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. This idea for perseverance is the Greek word hippomone, which means endurance, the ability to keep moving forward. And while you're in the season of waiting, to quote the great theologian Dory, Just keep swimming, right? Just keep moving forward. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't tap out. Don't give up. Keep moving forward and be anchored in the story of the scriptures that there's all these people who have gone before us that frankly have gone through a lot worse than us and have persevered, have kept the faith, have not walked away and we've seen God honor that faith. We've seen God bless that faith and we can know that if we remain faithful, He remains faithful. To do what He said, He will do. And the last encouragement is to Remember who he is. He's compassionate. He's merciful. It's his character. It's his nature. In a season of waiting, it could be easy to forget the heart of God. Do not, brothers and sisters. He's still the same compassionate and merciful God. The last thing I believe James has for us in this season of waiting is lastly to be honest. He says, above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is to say a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. There's something that we do when we want to ascribe more authority to the things that we're saying. Right? When we say something happened or, or was going to happen, we say, I swear, I swear on whatever. Right? When you we were kids, it was like, I swear on my mama's grave or whatever, that little thing. Or over my dead body or whatever it is. Right? Now, this is nothing new. It has been done for a long time. And we do this is because what we we're trying to do is we're trying to describe the authority of the thing we're swearing on to affirm the things that we're saying. Now, how many times have you done that, and you are being manipulative or dishonest? You are trying to get somebody to believe something that you have said that they had in question may or may not have been true, and so you start swearing. I swear I was never there. I didn't do that. I didn't eat the last tamale or whatever it is, right? You're saying all that thing with chili all over your face. You're a mess. But you're saying those things, and there's, there's doubt being caused in them, so you start swearing on something else to bring you more authority or whatever. Jesus and both James here have a strong appeal to not do that. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says this, again, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord of the vows you made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or For it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Somebody who's constantly having to use that kind of language is somebody who is dishonest. Because if you told the truth, all you would need to say is it one time. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. But because your character is being called into question, right, you start swearing on things. You start trying to call authority. And Jesus says, the mark of a follower of Jesus is not somebody who swears, but somebody who tells the truth. Somebody who's honest. And brothers and sisters, we need this in the church now more than ever. We need people Who are courageous enough to be honest I'm not doing good it's a hard week it's a hard season not having a good time right now man I messed up I had way too many glasses of wine the other night I made a fool of myself man I lied about that I want to be 100% honest with you I was dishonest about the thing that I said and I wanted to come up and own that to you I lied and was dishonest we need followers of Jesus who are willing to be courageous enough to tell the truth. And you will know you are a trustworthy person when people begin to take you just at your word, when you say yes, when you say no. Now this may seem like a trivial thing, but I think it's important. There's something that's come up now recently where people say yes to a lot of things, to a person, to their face, but they never, never actually show up. Part of being a part of a community is being willing to when your your yes means yes and your no means no. So so many people say, like, let's hang out. Sure, yeah, let's hang out. Let's do that. And they're like, walk away like, I'm not hanging out with them, right? And they blow them off or they do whatever, right? That is destroying a witness because you're honestly lying. You're saying one thing out of your mouth but doing another thing with another. What a lot of people like to do is say yes to a lot of things and then just pick whatever sounds best to them. Not considering and not weighing in the feelings of the other people that they're excluding or leaving out or pushing to the side. So another thing to be put out there is there are those people in here who hate confrontation and who get freaked out about telling somebody no. You know, they have a, oh, you know, we, we have to see, I have to see my schedule and my calendar. You know you can't make it. You know you won't be there, but you're afraid to let them down. I don't know of anybody who would rather somebody be honest than to give them false hope right? Someone would rather just be like, dude, I'd love to make it, but I can't. I have this, that, or whatever. Then no one's like, oh, how dare you? How could you ever have things before? They're just like, oh, sweet, no worries. But it's when you do the whole, I can see if I can show up. And then there they are waiting at the party, waiting for you to show up, texting you, hey, were you able to make it? And they, oh, actually, no. And it it looks way worse. And it feels way worse. So those of you who are afraid, it's okay to say no to things. It's okay to be honest and be like, don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Don't think I'm going to be able to help out in that area. Don't think I'm going to be able to show up to those things. You're not wrong. You're not bad. You're just being honest. It's way worse to say yes and then to not show up and to not be there. But in seasons of waiting, it can be easy for us to begin to exaggerate language or just begin to spew and let things come out of our mouth or just talk. And he says, be honest. Be honest. Tell the truth. Don't swear. Don't make on anything. authority. Just use your word and let your word be enough. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up now. But the sixth things James has taught us on how to wait well is to be patient, to be expectant, to be steadfast, to be slow to speak, to be anchored, and to be honest. I feel like. Um, There are people here in the room who are in a season of waiting. And it's not been easy. It's been really hard. It's been painful. It's been hurtful for you. This word was for you. Wait well. And don't lose heart. Don't give in. Don't fall short. Keep believing God. Keep trusting in him. Keep hoping in him. And he will come through. Again, it may not look like you want it to look, right? It may not be exactly what you want it to be, but I promise you, he's never let you down and he won't start now. For those of you who are in this season of sowing, man, you're you're doing things, you're building things, you're making things happen, you're sowing, you're sowing, you're sowing, it's easy to grow disheartened when you look at the ground and nothing's there, right? Come on, grow, let something happen, let something change. Do not lose heart it's working. It's working beneath the surface. God is doing things. I can't tell you how many times I've been stressed or worried about this, that, or whatever, and God is doing something behind the scenes that I had no idea about. And there I am waiting for the fruit, and God's doing all sorts of things underneath the surface. And the last thing I want to say is this. Waiting is not fun, and it's okay to be honest about that. Nobody's like, whoo, long lines. Like no one just goes to stand in the lines at Disney just to stand in the lines at Disney, right? Nobody does that when they get to the front saying, oh, I don't want to ride, I just wanted to wait in line. Nobody does that, right? They're psychopaths if they do, right? Waiting is not fun, but it's important. Waiting in the, in the life of a follower of Jesus produces growth. I can look back on seasons of my life while I was waiting for God to answer a prayer, for God to show up, for God to move, for God to do something. And the, se- the lessons I learned in those seasons are invaluable. And frankly, there was no other way for me to learn them. There was no other way for me to learn them other than that. And I want to leave you with this. He's a good dad who takes care of his kids. He's a good dad who takes care of his kids so if you are in a season of waiting he has not forgotten you he has not left your side he has not overlooked your story God is doing something right now and you may not feel it and it may not feel great but I promise you he's working something so lean in abide don't leave, don't get pulled away by doubt or, 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 or disappointment or, or don't get, don't get tempted to, to rush things or any of those. Just remain in him and watch that you realize that while you're waiting for something to happen, you'll come to the revelation that you have all you need in him. That while you're waiting, you realize you have everything you need in him. That Jesus is truly enough. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for this people, this body. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.